poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. Today's guest on the podcast is an OG of the online poker world, Adam Ruthless Levy. In his combined online and live tournament poker career, Ruthless has cash for close to $8 million. And since Adam's poker career started way, way back, You gotta just know we're gonna spend some time reminiscing about the golden age of poker, an age where Adam Levy absolutely feasted. In 2006, Ruthless hit number 5 in Pocket 5's online poker rankings, then at the WSOP in 2008, he was on the receiving end of a classic Helmuthian rant. If you're a fan of such things, all you gotta do is grab your popcorn and google Helmuth Adam Levy rant. The problem with feasting and good times is that, alas, they inevitably come to an end. As you're about to learn in Adam Levy's case, Black Friday was an especially bitter pill to swallow because of his genuine love for everything online poker. So in today's episode with Adam Ruthless Levy, you're going to hear all about those glory days, what he got into after Black Friday, and what his life looks like today. So now, without any further ado... I bring to you online poker OG, the ruthless one, Adam Levy. Adam, welcome to Chasing Poker Greatness, sir. How you doing, man? Doing pretty good. Uh, glad to be here, and you know, let's just talk some poker. Yeah, let's let's talk some poker. Uh, first question is about your journey. How did you fall into the world of poker? You know, what does that look like? Oh man. Um, well, like a lot of other poker players, uh, magic, the gathering, um, basically I just was playing it growing up. And then one day, like I was actually in college at, uh, like up in Gainesville, I was actually going community college and I kind of was like kind of floundering around after, you know, going to a legit college, not doing well there. And then I'm like back in Gainesville and what year is this by the way? This is like 2003, like the the moneymaker boom, you know? And uh, I'm like, I basically had like uh, decided that I was going to go home, like to South Florida. But there was like a month in between where like, you know, I had like the the rest of the, you know, the rent, you know, the last like three weeks or whatever. And that's when all of a sudden my magic friends started playing poker. And I was like confused, like why they were doing this. And then I like play, we was like $5 and $10 tournaments. And then I went home to South Florida where like that, I mean, that's where I'm from. And that's where like, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of like good magic players are like are from. And like, I knew them all through high school and stuff. So I reconnected with them and they were playing poker too. And I was like, what the heck is this? Like, I just want to, I'm addicted to magic. I just want to keep playing that. I don't understand what's going on. And after a little bit, like, we start playing limit and I didn't really like that. But then I guess we, I wanted to go back to like what we're playing in Gainesville, which was no limit. And finally, like we start playing a little bit of that. And then I like, was like, this is, this is fun, you know? And, uh, I was terrible. 
Um, I think I was told to quit after like the first year by like one of my friends. Um, <laughs> Just because I, you weren't progressing at all? I mean, yeah. So I'd say that the way that I learn is like, I like pick up like, I don't pick up a hundred percent of things or even like 90% of things on the first go around or whatever, you know, it'll be like 60 to 70%. And then like, I'll get some things like really wrong initially. And then eventually like, you know, I'll get it, you know, slower, a little slower than other people. And I just like, wasn't getting poker doing things. What I want to do is I want to reinvent poker. <laughs> like, like my friend was like, Hey, my, my favorite hands King 10. And I'm like, well, let's try it, you know? And then I would play <laughs> for no reason mm -hmm. um, because my friend said it. And I, I, I just had like an ego about it. Like I'm smart. I can change the game. It's like, no dude, you can't like change math. Yeah. Um, you got to work so, within the confines of the game as it's made. Exactly. But so, and I mean, I actually love like kind of like this journey, like the, the these questions are great. Um, you know, like what do you theme your podcast is? And like, I, so we'll say that it's like early 2000 and, um, well, okay. There's one crazy story that I had six months into my poker journey where I was so addicted to it. So, um, I don't advise that, you know, like not financial advice kind of thing. Like I do not advise anyone to go about their poker bankroll this way, but basically I just knew that I could be good at this, even though I had nothing that was actually telling me that I was good at it. Like my friends were like quit. And, you know, I just like, I would have some wins here and there, but like nothing like, like big. Where do you and think that I, that came from? Um, I really don't know. Like sometimes personally the way maybe it's my ADD or whatever, but there are certain things where I just get like fixated on doing like one time, like it was like, I had to join a fraternity when I had no money, like, like uh, when I was going back to school in Gainesville, like, I don't know why it just like was like, something I want, you know, and my parents were like, Adam, you do this all the time. Like you just focus on something, you get addicted to it or whatever it is. And then like, it doesn't work out. But for whatever reason, there was just this like power, like something that was like, I can do this. And it just kind of almost was like a mantra, like I can do this and like over and over. And I couldn't do this initially. Like I, 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 uh, so party poker had this trick, um, by the way, party poker is what you predominantly played back then, not poker stars. Um, yeah. and, and they had this trick where you could link your bank account up and because the way that overdraft fees worked, you would have two days, like you would get authorized for like a thousand dollars. And then like you would have two days to like get the money. The money would post two days from then. So in my crazy head, I could be like, oh, well, I'll just play a thousand dollars. I'll run it up. I'll win, I'll cash out and then I'll pay back the money. But like that, that just was not a smart way to go about it. It did not work. Um, I maxed out all my credit cards that I had all of a sudden I'm like four or five K in debt. Um, and back then, like, because it was like, you know, party poker was calling you know, America, you know, like number my, my, my mom's house the entire time, you know, like, like what's Ken, Adam, we need you to pay blah, blah. My mom's like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah. Um, I see why people were advising you to step away from poker back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> but the stubbornness in me, I guess, or maybe it was the ego felt like, cause I was good at magic, but not like great at it. Um, felt like I could do this. And then 
there's one there's literally the a day where i remember very vividly like my parents were like okay we're gonna go out to dinner tonight and we need to talk so i knew that it was like i'm in trouble like i have no money left i'm in debt like you know i had a hundred and like literally i had a hundred nine dollars left on my uh, party poker account i threw it into a hundred dollar 109 dollar tournament <laughs> yeah yeah and um like three hours later i'm nine of nine at the final table my brother comes home and he's like or he's also because he's still in high school he's younger than me he's feeling the whole energy of my like me like being addicted and losing all the money and like you know the creditors calling i like get aces double up get aces again double up all of a sudden i'm like one of five and then i just like click a few buttons and then boom like 30 minutes later i win it for six thousand dollars and i have no idea where my life would be if there was like that had not happened like maybe i had found poker later or whatever but maybe you know like i also maybe would have to go to gamblers anonymous maybe that would have helped me who knows um but that night i went out and i um i like just kind of slow rolled my parents a little bit actually and i was like <laughs> don't tell like i told my brother to not tell them and then i we were like eating at this like italian spot and i'm just like yeah, I won $6,000. I can pay off all the debt and then I'll have some left. And like, my mom and dad were so confused because like, basically this is validation. I mean, granted, maybe there's luck, but this is validation for everything that I was kind of going through. So it happened right in the nick of time. My mom was like, it's divine intervention. You know, I don't know. Cause really like that's absurd, you know, cause if it had happened a day before, um, like, yeah, maybe they, I don't know. Either way, it was like right in the nick of time day after, like, I'm not able to play poker. So after that, my parents kind of got off my back and then, um, and then I like, man, it, so I don't want to keep the story too long. I don't know if, uh, no, we, wanna... we got plenty of time, man. That That's why we, we block off. Perfect. Perfect. Hour 30. So, so after that, like, you know, my ego is cemented, like I can do this, but I still couldn't do this. Um, and then I like quickly, I was, and I told my mom like, oh, I'm going to stop playing blah, blah, blah. But like, they knew that I wasn't going to stop and I knew I wasn't going to stop. And so Around that time, I started actually meeting Lil Hold'em, uh, Chad Batista, and um, I mean, OG, uh, RIP, um, he passed away, I think, like, uh, 2015, unfortunately, but so around that time, we're playing in this this poker, it was honestly the best setup I've ever been in um, for, like, a, a place to play poker online. It was six computers, so, like, it was, you could play Magic at the tables. Um, there's a poker table for the, the game where people would just run like some, you know, private game one, two. And then there were six to eight computers where you could just sit and play like, you know, video games or online poker. <laughs> in, it's in, like an online cards. poker cafe or like a poker cafe, basically, or a gaming yeah, cafe, I guess. I mean, yeah. yeah, it was like it was like a gamer cafe. It was just a dream. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we would always convene there. And that's where I met Chad. But it had gotten to the point where like I... So I would I would get a job as a waiter, make some money, put that into poker, lose the money or like win some in poker, quit my job, lose the money, get a new job. That happened four or five times within a year where I just like was using up all my burning bridges like it didn't matter. <laughs> I just kept doing it. Yeah. And um, then one day, like I think it was January 2005, like right after New Year's, I was just like, I'm quitting and like. I didn't have much money. I just was like, I'm just quitting. Like, I, I'm just gonna try to make it work. And I was so broke for that, like month and about a month and a half that 
um, Ben, one of the best magic players in the world, Ben Stark, he was like the head like guy who was running all this stuff. He was like, okay, I can't give you any more money. You owe me like $1,500, but I can get you, I can ma- let you deal in the poker game. And um, so I, uh, I would deal the first time and then I would play in the poker game. So I would make, I made like 40 bucks in tips, played, lost it right away. The second day, the second time dealing, I had like 30 bucks was down to like 20. Granted, this was $1, $2, $50 buy-in, which is absurd. If you, you know, like, like, it's just pure gambling, you know, like we didn't really know back then. And I ran up like 300, 330, like $21 to 600, 650, I think, which was like, like a lot of money, like to win in that game. I paid Ben back like 150, took it to the hard rock, put a hundred dollars down, won a couple sit and goes. Um, that's what it was like back then. There were like tournaments, dude, Florida was crazy. It would like get like 300 people for 350 on a Tuesday or something. So, and then all of a sudden I like pay Ben back some more. I have like two grand. I put a hundred dollars on party poker. Um, and, uh, I, that's when things kind of like changed for me. It was like, I, so I put 55, $11 and a 33 and there were two people at the store that were watching me. And I lose the 55 and 11 right away. Then like three, four hours go by. I'm like 16. Um, I'm two of 16 uh, in the 33, which is like 5K for first. And I go decide I want to battle first for some reason, you know, but I have like, I have, I have ace king, you know, I'm battling, you know, it's like, bat, you know, but like, yeah. all right, cool. I have ace king. I can't, I, I re-raise him. Um, because three bet wasn't actually a term. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so I, and he, he calls and the flop comes like 10, seven deuce. I bet they raise, I'm like, this is, you know, I would be over aggressive. That's what you, you know, and I go all in and I get snapped off by sevens, 10, seven deuce. Like, and it's like my friends next to me are like, what did you do? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, and I look down. And then as I'm looking up, my friends are cheering because party poker runs like the runouts are so fast because it went queen jack for me to scoop it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, it, it was like such an electric moment, you know, when like like the way that it all came down. So after that, I just went on to win that, then chained a bunch of tournaments together. And then like within a week, I had like 30 grand and kind of just like, <laughs> Yeah. Pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh ha- happened fast back in those days. Um, I remember I-, I was in Florida as well and I played on party poker probably 2004. And, and those like 109s, you know, they had 215s like every day, like every day of the week, um, 200K guaranteed, 215. Yeah. And yeah, put 75 on, started playing shorthanded limit hold'em, um, ran the 75 into like 900, like progressively starting at like, two, four, three, six shorthanded. And then by the end, I'm like playing 10, 20 or 15, 30 shorthanded, uh, have like nine, 900 in my account and then buy into a two fifteen and, um, wake my friend up at about five in the morning. I'm like, yo, I just got fourth for like 15 K and all of a sudden, you know, just have like Insta bankroll from pretty much nothing. Um, Yeah. That, you know, those were good days back on party poker before UIGEA. I think, a lot of times on this show, you know, people don't realize that like party poker was online poker back then. Yeah. Like they, they were 
everything, you know, they, and they were innovating too, like the step tournaments, they had a lot of new things that were just kind of cool. Um, until Love the step tournaments. I was in there all the time. Me too. I, I mean, loved him. I, I, one of my roommates, he, he worked as a, a server and I was playing poker professionally. And I remember he, <laughs> he got stuck in like the step tournament hell for like two months oh and fine, like yeah. finally made it to the final one and like busted. And, uh, he was so upset. <laughs> That's funny. So I actually have two things to say about the steps. Um, one was that, uh, Ben, that, uh, the guy I mentioned, magic player who actually still plays magic, like on Twitch, you know, still at the top of his game. Um, he got into a step higher, which is like, I don't know if you, you know, the step hires there. Basically there, there was a 5k, right? There was like a 500, a 1k and a 5k or something like that. Uh, it, it, it was more absurd than that. They changed it because it was too absurd. So basically it was, it, it was like 1000 was, was level five for steps. And then yep. for this one, it was 500 was level one. And then by the level five, you had to win to get up. Like it wasn't yeah. it was even more extreme. It wasn't like top three or whatever advances. It was win, 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 win. So he like, he um got to 15K, which is level five. And it was like, I don't remember like Gigabet or like, you know, the whales back then. Like it's, it's you know, that's really all who I remember. But he ended up winning that tournament, Um, um my friend. And, it, and to, I'm like very positive it's the first one that ever ran because he was he was running the steps all the time and so it was kind of like a cool little flex that we like watched that happen mm -hmm. um and then also i actually that's how i kind of gave chad um a hold of my start his start i mean like he kind of was um he was in, he was in jail for a bit and then he came out and uh he needed like he just like needed like a little bit of financial help and me and him somehow like you know got uh, just really connected I'm kind of like an odd couple almost because I'm like this naive Jewish kid. And he's like literally like like I'm six, three and kind of goofy. And he's like five, five with a, a do rag and like, you know, <laughs> just like definitely, you know, looks like pretty hood. But he would just sleep on my floor while I'd go to bed and he would like play. Yeah, maybe I guess I was letting him on my account or whatever back then. But he would play um, the steps up to like step four or five. So then I would play those and then I would give him like 20 or 30% or something of like that. <laughs> He's your private, private, uh, step guy. Just yeah. Like, you know, there were no rules. You don't even know like what you're doing back then. It's just like, yeah, okay, dude, like play my account. Who cares? Yeah. I, I think what's interesting about like the rules of poker and like integrity, like all these things, um, we just figured it out. There was no like rule book, right? There was nobody saying no. to do X, Y, or Z. We're like 21, 22, 23 year old kids just kind of making it up because like this was a thing that had like not been around that long and it really just never happened. Um, and so you look back and you're like, oh, like it's, it's easy to like judge in hindsight. But the reality is like when we were there, there was no like nobody guiding our path. We didn't have mentors. Like we were just kids trying to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was like the, you remember the whole JJ Prodigy, like Z Justin thing, like the, all those like multi-accounting. No, I, I mean, I know Z Justin, like he was back in party poker is like battling the two hundreds, but I don't know the multi-accounting. So, uh, I mean, you know, like, um, basically what happened was, and granted, like, I'm not, uh, there was like a, 
not like a, like a bug or something, but there was a way that you could open up as many party poker or clients you like on the same laptop, Like you could have like <laughs> six on the same laptop. So yeah. just change like one piece of code or something. And uh, I think like people figured that out and started using it. So it was just like, everyone was just doing it. Um, I, I never actually did it, but I like did see how to do it. Um, and like, it, 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 there were no rules. Like you said, like we were no one, like it wasn't really something that people were actively like really like thinking about. And then like all of a sudden it became a thing. And then like um, those guys were, were the two people that just kind of got com like completely uh, I wouldn't say it was a scapegoat. Cause you know, but like, I think like JJ prodigy or whatever said it was like, his like grandma, <laughs> his grandma's account or something, but I mean, it is what it is, but um, it, you kind of had to learn all these rules kind of on the fly. Like yeah. you're saying. Yeah, you did. And after that, you knew, okay, like multi-accounting bad. Yeah. I'm not going to do this anymore because <laughs> every, everyone looks down upon it. So, okay. Um, after you ran it up, did you, you know, what, what, what's the next part of your story after so much struggle running it up? I, I can't imagine, correct me if I'm wrong. I can't imagine it's just like a linear straight up path, you know? Uh, no, it, it wasn't. I mean, it was, uh, but I'd say that after that, it was kind of like the glory days for me where, um, I like me and Chad and then this other guy named, uh, Ben for some absurd reason, we call them Ben Laden. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, I mean, you look back at like nicknames and you're just like, what, like, what even, what, are, what, what were we doing? But he, it was us three and there was this party poker glitch that I guess you could, um, you would go all in for some reason after like 2005, they made the rebuy. You could go all in while you're all in, you could rebuy like, because your chips were technically in the middle and you had zero. Yeah. So you could like double and your stack if nobody called under like 4k or whatever. So me, Chad, and and Ben, we would just go all in, rebuy, go all in, rebuy, like hope that someone doesn't call us or whatever. And sometimes they did and we'd get expensive. So it was literally like every other night, like it would be one of us three final tabling. And it got to the point that when I would meet some people, they'd be like, bro, you're always in that 30 rebuy, <laughs> you know? So it was kind of like a fun like period where it was just like me and Chad were just kind of like, just, you know, crushing it. And um then I, I think uh, I had a rude awakening at like when I went to the World Series, you know, because like, man, my ego was it was the first thing I'd ever really succeeded in, like like or had been not succeeded, but then like truly very like top tier at, I guess. And I was always guess I was searching for that. So my ego was just like, we're the sickest, you know, and. It's you're you just, you're a 25 year old kid or whatever. Like, it's just not going to end well when you kind of. Um, and so I went to the World Series. I was like, yeah, I'm an online poker player. We're better than you on live guys. And then I went 0 for 16 in events. And um, that was like, OK, like we got it. We got to We clearly don't know something mm -hmm. we need to. We need to dial it back a bit. But then I would go online and and do well. Then I went to um, Gainesville, Florida, and again, like back because my friend had a house. So I was just that was actually yeah. This is like kind of like the, like the dream. Like I'm a 25 year old kid, or you know, uh, I don't know if you want to say kid anymore, but you know, semi -adult. Young, young human, yeah, semi adult. Yeah. Um, 
living in a college town with my friends who are like 20, 21 in college. And we're in like some party house, you know, just like, I'm not going to school, but I'm, I just get to be around all of it. And I'm like doing well. So I think one of the coolest moments for me was on Super Bowl Sunday. Like I ended up getting third in the Sunday million, but it was the year that Peyton Manning like blew out the opposing team. I forget like what year, I think it was like 2000, well, it was like 2006 probably. Um, but it was like such a blowout that people were not really watching during there and there was a Super Bowl party going on. But when I got knocked out, I got a standing ovation. Like people were <laughs> clapping for me Yeah, for winning like $50,000 or whatever. And it's like, sometimes you look back and you're like, you know, that's like almost more of a beautiful moment than, than making like a final table of something. Yeah. I mean, it's something that like, you can't really recreate just yeah. the, the energy in the room, everybody cheering you on your, what, what place game being a blowout was huge too. <laughs> yeah. The game, the game being a blowout, pretty nice. Nobody's focusing on it. Um, I, I know. So after the party poker, cause party poker went down after UIGEA. Yeah. Um, and I know that you played on Ultimate Bet. You you were one of their sponsored pros because I remember you being one of their sponsored pros because that was where I played as well. Um, how did that come about, the sponsorship with UB? Um, well, I guess that's uh, the, the Queen Ten hand. What's so the, so <laughs> you're going to have to um, – my the, research, research department um, – the well okay so i'm you know you ever see the aggressive call hand mm -mm. no no wow. <laughs> okay so um there's this so i guess 2008 during the world series i'm playing against phil helmuth and um on day four and i just decided to call with queen 10 and <laughs> he just, just yells at me <laughs> And he yells at me because I beat him. And he he turns the set, and I uh, have like the, that gives me the nut straight. And on the river, I still have the nuts. And he just like gets extremely mad at me. And then I guess there was a so the, I guess Vanessa Russo made some comment on like the two plus two forums saying something was an aggressive call, <laughs> and like you can't make a call aggressive. And it's like, yeah, it's an oxymoron. So Phil was so mad at me that after like two minutes of him just kind of like being irate, he like kind of gathers himself and sits down. And I just kind of like say it was an aggressive call. And <laughs> it's like it, it if you could you could get inside of his mind at that present moment, it would have been like white hot with rage. It's <laughs> like he didn't even he like just like kind of was almost frozen by how dumb of a statement it was, but I was literally throwing. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I don't know how I missed that. Uh, I guess <laughs> at some point I saw like, so I, I was always playing cash and at some point, I guess I, I didn't watch all of the WSOP coverage. Um, that I'm is not going to lie. Game. It is, it is like one of the more iconic hands that I've, uh, like people still like talk to me about it and stuff. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But um, yes, that, but I, I, I failed. I failed on, on the research side of the the aggressive call Queen Ten. I also didn't even know like that was a meme on two plus two because I, I wasn't really a two plus twoer back in the day. That either. was kind of a deep cut, you know. Like you yeah. only really knew if you were like very much like on the forums. And I actually missed the World Series that year, two thousand seven, when that all that happened. 
And then I just kind of like read all about it. And it was like a whole, I don't know, it was a weird, like, you know, two plus two drama because mm-hmm. Vanessa Russo made a bad call and someone was like, like told her on the forum and she tried to defend herself. Ooh, that's those days. I mean, what I think is awesome about those days were like everybody who all the top level players were all congregated like on two plus two, like just for a long time um, until like card runners. And then I guess people started like splitting off into their own groups and doing their own thing. But for a long time, online poker players were on two plus two. That was where they went. That was the the de facto community. Um, Yeah. If you were, if you did anything, if you wanted to be good in poker, like you went to two plus two and that was except for me. (laughs) <laughs> I, I was the one that didn't go to two plus two. I, I lurked some, but like, I don't know, boards, message boards, they just never resonated with me. And I don't know why, like, I just don't enjoy post. I just don't enjoy posting on them or it's a chore. Yeah. It felt like work. Like, plus it, it, it felt like too, I think in the later days of two plus two, it was like somebody posts a hand. I have a different opinion. Somebody has already given an opinion that everybody's agreed with. And I realize it's not even worth it to even express my opinion because then it's just like, I'm just going to be defending my position for the next seven seven days. So I'd rather just not engage, you know? Um, But so that hand, honestly, that hand alone got me the ultimate bet deal. Um, And like back then it was, there were no, there was no full tilt or poker stars because of kind of like UIGA. Um, it was tough to get a deal. I mean, maybe I could have done something with full tilt, I guess, but I, it, it was kind of like the whole whirlwind because I had hired an agent like that world series, like just a poker agent. And uh, it just, all of a sudden it, it turned into this whole like thing, like, because I hired her, she, like, I woke up the day, uh, day four and I saw John Robert, John Robert Balland. Tell me, me, and then, you know, like, we're just at the table or whatever. I mean, it's just them two together, you know, it was enough to make it a future table at the time. And I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a future table. And she started like talking to ultimate bet and she had good connections there. And then eventually, you know, they wanted me to be a team pro. And that was an interesting uh, uh, time because like, for me personally, I'm kind of, I, I definitely feel like I've gotten a little less naive over the years, but I almost always want to just kind of like believe in the good in people, which is definitely mostly a good trait. But like for that situation, I just was like, well, I don't think they're going to like cheat again or anything like that. Um, and, but it was still like kind of like the optic optics wasn't that good. Like weren't great for me because it's like, you know, Hey, I'm like, on this, when did like, you find out about the the scandal? Like you were already a pro, you were becoming a pro. When did that? What was the time? I, I had known about it. it. It already happened, but I was like, it was like kind of. I think it happened in like two or either two thousand six, two thousand seven, and it felt like they were kind of just trying to turn the page on it. Um, and and from my knowledge, it literally was just like, like or not literally, but I know like there were there was definitely some sinister stuff going on. But like they had kind of gotten rid of these people. Um, and you know, as someone in, uh, the poker world who you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from, it's kind of hurt. You kind of have to have some form of security. And like, I just kind of went that way. Um, because it was, a, it was, you know, like poker stars was my dream, but like, that wasn't an option. Full tilt was, you know, secondary somewhat. 
So I went there and it was, it was pretty stressful because I felt like I couldn't really like be myself on like social media or this or that. And it just kind of weighed on me um, being there. So kind of, I made like a personal um, vow, I guess, afterwards to just never really do anything that would put you in those kind of circumstances again. Like we're like, even though I was really rooting for them and like, I do think that ultimate bet was trying to write the ship after all of that. It still just like wore on me over the years that it wasn't worth the money. So I kind of like now I'm in like the NFT world or whatever. And I really trying to like kind of um, keep that in mind or, and I've kept that in mind since. Um, if you don't mind me asking, what was the sponsored pay for like a UB pro back then? It was dude, it was stupid. Like I squandered it because I was just too much like, so a lot of the reason I ended up moving to LA by the way. So like, uh, in 2009, I moved to LA. Like I just wanted to move out West. I had like a great year online and, um, I just like, like was living the life, you know? And my agent was just like, you should pay, you should play $35 an hour up to two tables, cash games. Like they're paying you and you're playing and you're getting ranked back. And I just was like, I'm so bad at cash games. I just want to play tournaments. And, you know, I just did not play nearly as much as I should have, um, because I was kind of just like there for the you know, the, the lifestyle, I guess. Um, so instead of playing, I spent way too much money, um, just like living in like an expensive place. Um, but it was like, I, funny enough, my, my ex girlfriend renegotiated the deal in in 2011, like basically to get, um, six figures. I was getting like hundred K over a probably hundred K plus I'd say, um, with like 30 K in buy-ins, um, on top of the $35 an hour, like rate, like rate back if I wanted. Um, so it was like 2011 was setting up to be like, damn, this is like a sick year for me. But like then black Friday obviously happened. And then ultimate bet was like, yeah, we definitely don't have the money on hand <laughs> to, yeah. to deal with this. And they folded. Yeah, they were, they just kind of, that, that was it. That was the end of ultimate bet black Friday. Um, interestingly, like it, it was kind of funny getting paid so long after the fact, like after absolute poker and UB and the DOJ and all of that kind of resolved itself because I know there was a lot of guys on UB when it went away. There was one, one guy, um, a GUI, GUI, like underscore 88. He was, he was buying up money. Like after black Friday, he was like buying people's account balances at like pennies on the dollar and stuff. And (laughs) I just wonder like what kind of sweat that was for him, like over the years, or if he was able to, uh, yeah, just, I don't know. I I don't even know who that is. If I could track him down, I guess I would. I think I may have met him like many years ago, like one of the the world series or one of the ultimate bet, like Aruba events or something. And I would always grind against that person in cash games when I was playing. Yeah, because he he was grinding every day. He was he's like one of the like yeah. Nano Nanonoko type guys um back then. But yeah, so Black Friday hurts, I'm sure. There's like a hundred K per year that's just like kind of gone. But you were in LA, so that's a pretty good spot to be in. Um if you're gonna be a, a poker player. What happened? Yeah, after that was that? a that was a weird time because like I'm actually very thankful to my my expert 
urging me to go outside of the country. Like, so the whole thing was, was it was, I guess, leading up to um, Black Friday, there were some signs like Full Tilt started the multi-entry um, tournaments where you could just like play like up to like six, one K, like you, you would play a tournament and it'd be multi-entry and you could play like four to six of that tournament in the same tournament. And then like, if you ever got to the final table with two accounts, they just merged. <laughs> or you got paid out like ninth actually is what happened you didn't even you know yeah uh, tenth um and it was like why would they be doing this you know like it's maybe it started with rush poker which is also just maybe that was just like an innovation but um like the multi-entries when black friday happened i was like relieved initially because i because a, we all thought that poker was solved. We were pretty pretty dumb about that. Um, <laughs> we're, yeah. We all knew each other, you know, and, and the problem was, was there were not, it wasn't new turnover like it was because of UIGA, because it kind of cut off like deposits, so they go kind of stealth. So a lot of people that are coming in were like grinders or good players, you know. Um, and it, it was, yeah, like the way you would get in was like secondhand, like a friend sending you money or something, not like, hey, I just want to play because I want to play. I'm a random person. But so, yeah, like when that happened, I was thinking of ways out. I wanted to start and try a startup. I don't even know, but I had no idea what the hell, like even like how any of that worked. So what ended up happening was uh, I was walking into Coachella on like, like kind of living the dream, like April 15th, walking into Coachella and I get the call from my brother, like, Hey, like, you know, black Friday. And I'm just like, ah, I don't know what I can really do I, this weekend. So I guess I'll just enjoy like the last weekend before, like, you know, there's a reality check. And so there was a period of time where like four months where I was just kind of like doing nothing, you know, like I, I just legitimately didn't, you know, really know what to do. I was like, I guess I'll just stay in LA but then my ex was like, no, you, you, we, we should, we should try to go to like Vancouver or something like Vancouver seems great. And I was like, so I think back then I was very apprehensive of going to a new country by myself, I guess that makes sense. Like, I, I don't know why it's just Canada, you know, but <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh, like, and, and so because we went, I went with my ex, it was like, okay, cool. Awesome. And then I went there and I was like, whoa, Vancouver is awesome. I went there in the summer. It was beautiful. So I ended up coming back to Vancouver for like four months. We signed like a, like a, a lease and I just grinded there, but I just never, I, I think um, as poker players, sometimes you have to find an outlet to release like your kind of your emotions. And if you don't like it will kind of show up in different ways. Yes. And for me, like, I legitimately just lost $80,000 like within like, you know, those four months that I was there grinding on top of the expenses and stuff. Yeah. You, so what you're saying is you were not playing at a high level when you were in Vancouver. I was forcing it because, you know, there was a lot of this emotional, like I'm not in, I'm not comfortable where I am. I'm not, I'm not in my country, you know, like there's just all these things. Uh, ironically enough, when I went home or, there was or whatever there was like one 
Like I had like one opportunity. I was in the Bahamas. I ended up like winning a couple events. Like when I was in the Bahamas for like the poker stars, Caribbean adventure that like kind of negated the losses. But um, I mean, it was just, it was just a rough, rough time because I could never really um, get like the, the, maybe it was the, there were emotions that were, that would just build up. And all of a sudden, you know, I would degen because I'm only in Vancouver for a few weeks or a few months or something and lose it back. Yeah, I think that happened. Now that I really think about it, I think it happened more frequently than you would think. I know the first time I went to Los Angeles after Black Friday, I was at the Commerce playing their 1020 No Limit game and a bunch of young kids were playing and it turned out that like four of the guys I was playing against were like UB six max guys. Like we all, <laughs> we all like knew each other's screen names, you know, just like we started talking and then all of a sudden it was like, holy shit. Like we're basically playing six max on UB in, in LA. Um, and then after that first trip, like I didn't see any of them again. Like they just, I kept going back to LA and they didn't really come back. And, and it was kind of like, I guess they just were not comfortable in, in that setting. They weren't comfortable traveling or didn't want to or whatever it was. And I have no idea if they continued playing poker or not. But the other thing you touched on too was like the the financial side of it, like just getting money on and off websites was very difficult after UIGA in 2006. Like once NetTeller went down, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, you're cashing out, you're getting like a check and if you cash out from like Singapore or Canada, if you're lucky, yeah, then you get like grilled by the bank. Where's this money coming from? How do you do business? What, what's going on here? It was not a very fun experience. Those, even those five years leading up to black Friday. And then, yeah, I think, uh, after black Friday, it was, there were some like poker sites that were running, but then they stopped like paying people and everything just got really sketchy really quick. Um, which I guess is what led to, me and all those guys going to Los Angeles to play live poker because like it didn't feel like there was any other option in the U S anyway. Yeah. It was a, it was an interesting time because there were pockets of different, there were places that just were kind of not infiltrated, but like, um, yeah, I mean like all of a sudden there was Playa del Carmen was a hotbed for, for poker players. Um, so was Cabo. So was Vancouver, Rosarito, Mexico. Yeah. Like, it was just like, where are these people coming from, you know? And I had to go through customs every time and I had to explain, like, um, and it was just a, it was such a, so maybe that's what happened. That's where they went. But like, going back to what you're touching on with the casinos, like two or three, if you look back and you see, like, see the energy, you were like, kind of maybe think about the energy in the casinos from like 2011 to like 2014, or even look at the World Series it was like no one was happy to be there almost it, everyone was just like like this is sad you know like <laughs> i'm sad because i can't play online kind of thing and, and and like no one was really happy like you could see it on twitter everyone's energy was just kind of like um wiry and, and just wanted to yell at people and and um i mean i get it and, and then also it like like only people that were like i don't know the whole reason why i played poker was because of online poker and having casinos to play poker. It was like the yin and the yang. It was great. Not having one of them really changes why you play poker. I personally think. Yeah. I mean, it's like a good 
like online poker was how you made a living. It was like how you generated money. And live poker was like a fun thing you did to like yeah. talk talk to people and like just congregate with your fellow man. Um, and if you're playing tournaments, yeah, you get the glory playing live poker. But yeah, I mean, I, and that probably hurt a lot of people's uh, view of poker and the thought of playing poker and definitely moving forward. If I got to do this, I probably don't want to do this forever. Um, I guess, I assume is what happened with a lot of guys. Yeah. But then I got roped back into doing it. Like I didn't really want to do it that much longer because it felt like it was just very intense. Yeah. You know, spending five figures a day on a Tuesday, just playing tournaments. Um, but like, then you kind of like, well, I, and maybe I was a little short-sighted because like, I actually, no, I wasn't, not only was I maybe, I don't know if I was short-sighted. I was so ingrained in the culture. I was like, um, you know, like in relationships, sometimes people get codependent, like, and you have to like kind of un, un kind of unravel it once. That's kind of what it would felt like with me in the poker world. Like I felt like, even though, the, you know, there are a lot of other people who were very much like, you know, in poker, but like they weren't as ingrained in the culture. Like it honestly, like so many people knew me within there and I was like ultimate bet and I was doing these things in LA that were just like cool spots. And it was just, you know, I was helping celebrities sometimes like it, it was great, but like I had tied every single part of my like being almost to the poker world. Like, and like, so I didn't really feel like I could do anything else at that present moment. Yeah. It was your identity. Yeah. And like, that was definitely not true at all, but I had to actually like, take up like a long time away from it to understand that but i also like i didn't really un- grasp that i like understand that until like 2016 to be honest it took me like five years where i literally just like woke up one day and was like all right poker players that i'm living with during the world series i'm leaving or actually it was right after the world series but i was like i'm out i broke i like broke the lease like i just paid them like a few months of like you know for my room and then i just went to la and tried to do something else like it was uh um, what led to that what was the that aha moment or just that moment of realization well i mean uh i think in like 2014 15 like my, i, I kind of like broke up with my my ex after four years so it was kind of like this i'm like 31 32 so it felt like it was almost like a rebirth i guess because it was you know and and it it was a serious relationship and i didn't really think that i was going to be like back out like single and stuff so i got a completely new friend group um that were like they're they're younger i always seem to have like younger friends for whatever reason but um and uh you know we go to music festivals and yeah like you know maybe i did i did did some drugs um not like much or anything but you know i i definitely experimented and and like it kind of showed me just like kind of what poker was where it's like it's a different way of of making a living and so is just you know like going to music festivals and kind of just like like you you don't have to just be a poker player almost because like they were like it was like these friends were like i play poker but also i'm i'm only doing it to have fun with my life yeah you probably can't make a living going to the music festivals, though, unfortunately. Well, maybe some people can, I guess. If you're a DJ. If you're a DJ. <laughs> yeah. So some folks go. some folks can, but very few. Yeah. Um, I well, definitely well, dusted a lot of money, though, doing that. But it was like a, it, it led me to a path, I guess. 
an end. Yeah. What was the path that it led you to? I mean, so I um, was going to LA here and there because I always loved LA, but I just had to be kind of like uprooted from there for, because to, to travel for poker didn't make sense for me to have a place. And I had like an old friend who um, did like a crazy spot, like new spot where like I played like poker against like Starcraft pros and they played Starcraft against me and we showed like skill versus luck kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I reconnected with him and he had like a business that was starting. And I just was like, I want to be a part of this, but I like was still a little naive and like how, like what I was going there for and like what I was doing. But like, I think I just used that as a catalyst to break away from poker but really I just wanted to break away from poker and I never had found, I never found a reason that was like really like compelling and uh, the job like kind of worked, but kind of didn't. It was, I think it was, like, I didn't really, like I should have maybe like, it was more of like a, like a mentorship maybe. And I just like kind of had preconceived notions that I was just going to, they still the poker ego where you're like, I succeed here. So I'm just going to crush here. But like, you don't understand that you have to like grind. But part of me was like, I didn't have like my ego was like, I'm not just going to grind, you know, like I'm not going to like, you know, do cold calls or this or that, whatever it was, you know. So I had to kind of so it, I wouldn't say it, it, it failed, but it didn't it wasn't like, a you know, like it wasn't completely the path. Yeah. But yeah. it got me to break away from and and what I realized was I had a lot of internal growth to do still like as like a. 32 33 year old like i still had to like figure out like what it will like like just life and understanding like simple things like i had always been very you know i was fortunate that i had a great relationship and you know and, like things were done for my you know good family my, my things were done for me and then i was finally alone and i had to like figure all of this stuff out like hey like no one's going to do your laundry kind of thing. You know, like it's very simple, but it's like, yeah, like no one's going to make your bed. Like you have to make your bed. It's all very simple. But like, these are, these are things that like, you just, you kind of just need, I needed that reality check of like, yeah, like no one really is looking out for you except for you. Kind of. Yeah. And took, that, took responsibility for yeah. your own life. So, um, so the, the, the thing that I did was super cool. You know, Rocket League by chance. I do. I have put in my time in Rocket League. <laughs> nice so have i um so then maybe i guess you'll like the story i ended up uh starting like through this this gig that i had um i love rocket league and i started throwing events for rocket league but it was kind of like too early because like it's like it was 2016 or 17 where it was like people knew loved the game it was blowing up but like no one really understood like you know gaming like it was before the Fortnite like craze mm-hmm. um but I started throwing events, just Rocket League at like bars and stuff. But uh, apparently Rocket League, the company didn't really like it because they want to be all ages. Like it was like, I call it Rocket League and beers. It was simple, <laughs> yeah. you know, but like, it was like, no, we're like a kid company or whatever. But what I ended matter? up getting, but I know, That's but silly. I got all the streamers to come out to the second event randomly. So it was like, I'm playing like with all the casters that are still like, you know, Rocket League, uh, you know, they're doing still doing that to this day like playing like in this like random free event. Um, so that was super cool. And it showed me like kind of how to throw events. And then I went off on a travel traveling again and uh, playing poker. It didn't really work that well, but I felt like I could. And um, because 
the broccoli thing was cool, but I wasn't making money to sustain living in LA. And then, um, then I guess it finally kind of stuck this, this last time that I moved back to LA. <laughs> yeah. And what about, what about it stuck this time? Like, what, um, are, what are we into today? What are you spending your, your passion pursuing? Well, right now it's NFTs. Um, and I think then not only right now, I mean, I feel like I just quit my job last week as like a fraud reviewer, um, to pursue NFTs full time. What was Um, the fraud reviewer gig? What is that? What did that look like? Um, that was like, just, um, there's some poker players that started a company a while back. Uh, that was like, it's called approved A P R U V D. And basically if you have, uh, like a retail company online that crushes like all of us. And, and let's say you just like blow up, you know, you have like some clothes that you just immediately blow up and you never planned to have fraud, like, like someone reviewing fraud, making mm-hmm. sure that you're not getting scammed. But once you blow up, you're a target. And once you're a target, if there's not like proper, like protocols in place, you're going to get pretty, like, like wrecked, like you're going to lose a lot of money. So they just outsource like, you know, orders that might be sketched to us. And then we like would take a cut. So that happened because of the pandemic. But before that I was doing, I was running events. That was like, that was like when I finally succeeded in something that I did. And that was like super sick. It was called games and grooves. And we kind of, it was the rocket league thing, but more like I had a DJ that was a partner and, you know, we would like just post up like cornhole and Mario Kart and stuff and, and like run tournaments. And it was just like super fun, but then the pandemic kind of ended it. But with the last event that we threw, sorry, I'm, I'm talking a lot, but no, no, last, it's, it's good. The last event that we threw was like the sickest thing. It was like the um, pinnacle of that company, right? Like a week before the pandemic that basically showed us that we, whatever path we were on was definitely going to succeed. So that was cool. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Preflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I love the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow, like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, 
oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Boot Camp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Is there any plans of firing it back up like after the pandemic? I mean, I think, yeah, kind of a tough, tough time for the event planning and coordinating business. Well, we did like an event, like kind of for my birthday in June. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was cool, but like it, like we had kind of changed as people, you know, it's like a lot of like hard labor, I guess, um, just like setting up events, carrying all this stuff or whatever. Oh, you guys got soft during the pandemic. Exactly. We got soft. <laughs> uh, I'd love to do it again. Those super fun. And always, always love throwing events. Nice. Um, cool. So then, then fraud the the fraud business uh and now nfts so tell me about nfts and your relationship with uh blockchain crypto all that stuff i assume started like most of our relationships have with crypto and the online poker space yeah i mean uh funny enough i had gotten uh back in like 2014 some i bought some percentage of a poker player who was like a degenerate ended up like uh dusting off all his like world series main event winnings it was like only like 30k or whatever but like he just never paid me so one day he called me up and he was like yo like you want bitcoin i'm like sure i'll take it whatever it was at a thousand dollars and then i like just like opened up a coinbase account like on a whim and he gave it to me but unfortunately that was like i, I like i didn't set like a good password because i was at i was out and I was just like, he called me frantically and I guess they just like went in and took that Bitcoin. So that's like a bad beat story, but like that was kind of my very first like foray and it, and it is what it is. But like, um, like I had always wanted to get in, but Bitcoin never truly like I got it, but it wasn't like that, like cool or anything. Um, but then 
2016 was when I saw Vitalik Buterin like talk and some, I have a thing where like, if I just like, like, I just will believe in the, the person maybe over everything else. Um, where like, when I hear this dude talk, I'm like, this is the smartest dude I've ever heard. Like he, I don't know what he's doing, but I'm on board, you know, like I barely get it, but you can take my money. Yeah. So you're, you're investing in the, in this human. That's like kind of the visionary for the project. And I mean, yeah, dude is like, it's hard to find a, a smarter person than him or somebody that you can like just genuinely believe in that, you know, feels like they're trying to do everything in their power to make a project be successful. Like exactly it's his passion. So, and then like, you know, we went on for a bit and I was always like kind of similar, like, you know, Ethereum's cool. Like, yeah, like I can like put, like I can stake it and earn some money or whatever. But then NFTs like Topshop blew up last year. And that was the first time I had seen like a legitimate use case for like NFT. Yo, please, please explain it to me because like, I, I don't like, so I, I'm actually like consulting with an NFT company right now. And there's some, there, there's some utility in, in that company and what they're doing and the NFTs that they're releasing. Um, but like Top Shot um, or even like a lot of the NFTs, please help me out, man. Help me understand why, why it's, why it's so cool. And they're not just like, uh, you know, JPEGs that are a million dollars. Well, like, let, let's just take like, you know, like the board apes. Yep. Um, like, let's say you buy one, um, and you decide that you're just going to, you can build a brand out of it. like you have commercial rights. So you can do whatever you want. Like, um, let's say it has like, uh, you know, it's trippy, you know, it's got like a little trippy kind of the first trippy or whatever. You can maybe say, hey, this is this guy's going to be, you know, doing shrooms or whatever. You can make animation. You can make like a, a, a character around it or whatever. You can do whatever you want. Also, you can basically make that your brand. Like if you decide like, hey, like there's literally a guy on Twitter named like Captain Trippy. He bought a Trippy per ape early on. And he's just like, that's my brand. And everyone <laughs> just knows him. He's never changed his like uh you know, um, profile pick. It's basically like digit. Like, what what would stop somebody from just having an illustrator draw up a trippy eight? Well, it's not. I mean, you can't sell it. Like, that's cool. You can you can have that, but you can't sell it. Um, only I can, and um, that is an issue. Actually, Twitter recently made it. So I don't know if you've seen the hexagon profiles. No, I haven't. But like, if you look, some people have like hexagon uh, instead of like a circular circle. In their profiles because that's saying hey this is a confirmed nft ah. um but like also you get royalties like let's say you make a chasing poker greatness nft um and i buy from you for a hundred dollars you're like cool like i get that maybe i give the marketplace like five percent whatever then i am approached by someone else who wants to buy from me for a thousand dollars and i sell it to them um, I'll get like the money, but you get royalties on that. And that just goes on and on forever. Like, let's say you set it at 5%, then you would get 5% of the hundred dollars, which is, you know, 50 bucks and that, or sorry, thousand dollars. Then now you're just, you can be making like, think about what it's like with art. Like I like, you know, real art. If you sell a Picasso or whatever, and you know, obviously, uh, and then it like gets bought and then it gets, you know, the, the original persons, or let's say a Banksy, cause Banksy is at least alive. 
Um, Banksy sells it and like Banksy's not getting royalties on that, even though it was like, it's changing the way that creators create, like, or, or, or at least make money. So it, it's just, it's never, it's more like, instead of being kind of predatory, you know, when, you know, like the, the art houses or whatever, it's just like, we're in this together. And, and which is so huge for musicians, artists, I mean, uh, musician, yeah, musicians, artists, like anyone that, that just creates. Well, create, creators too, right? Because like an NFT, so yeah. to my understanding, non-fungible token, basically it's just, it's a thing you that, I mean, the definition of it is that it's a thing that you pay, you, you pay, spend money for a thing and the thing you get back is not the same as the money that you spent, right? I think that's how it was broken well, down. It's kind of like um, if you have, uh, well, let's say, you know, you have dollars, those are fungible because yeah, they're not the exact same thing. They have a different serial code on them or serial number, but like you can trade them back and forth. Whereas like, let's say you have two houses, yeah, yeah. two cars, like you would never trade a Ferrari for a Prius. You, you can't trade a, the but, Banksy, the Banksy for the same Banksy back, right? Is that the? Well, I mean, yeah, because that's like, it's, a, it's only one that exists. You know, it's, yeah, like, you can't trade, you wouldn't trade a Banksy for like a stick figure. You could, it's possible to <laughs> the secondary market, but like, you know, like it's, it's like, they're different. They're yeah. non-fungible because they don't like kind of. You can't um, fund them, man. You can't, you fund, can't them. fund them. You know, they're, they're, you just can't fund these guys. <laughs> um, I heard someone say that it's kind of like, um, it sounds like they're like no mushrooms allowed. <laughs> <laughs> you can also put behind them like educational materials or like courses or whatever you wanted right behind the NFT. Yeah. So the person who owns it is the only one that has access to the information. Well, this is a perfect lead into uh, a little bit of a, I guess, a plug. I'm currently on a project called lion share poker. Um, and it, it basically it's, it had, we had, we don't haven't released a token yet, but it's going to be an access token. So in order to get into discord or into certain parts of discord, you'll need uh, to have the token. And um, like in order to play in poker tournaments that we have, you'll need to have the token. Um, and, and like, or like, you know, it, 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 we're kind of changing the way that like coaching's done because like you pay about $100 a month or whatever it is and you can just pay it forever. Whereas if you just own the token, whatever the price is, then you can have it forever. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing. And, and that's a typical way of like doing, um, utilizing an NFT is, making it so in order for you to like be in this like area you get a like you get access to certain things and mm -hmm. that could be live events also mm -hmm. yeah it could be a pass to like vip tournament or get together or just whatever whatever it is you can get in via your nft um, and i really like the the smart contract aspect of it you, you mentioned the royalties where i assume it's just baked into like the original agreement that the creator gets like a 5% royalty or whatever each time it's resold, something like that. Yeah, you can decide whatever it is, but you know, I think the standard's probably like five to seven percent or something. Yeah. Uh, smart contracts. That's the that's the whole deal, right? Yeah, they're smart. They're, they're very smart. They know what they're doing. <laughs> um so is that gonna be your your pursuit, I guess, indefinitely into the future, the yeah. world of NFTs. I mean, like, I'm, uh, I'm definitely learning. Like I was on another project. I'm like an advisor for one project that kind of like called Mech Arcade that didn't really like 
have like the best uh you know the best like drop or like the mint or whatever but like we're we're all like we're all learning together kind of thing um and like so that that was like my first like kind of role there and uh learn like learned a ton i already knew a lot but like you still like like it's a lot different when you're actually running a project versus you know being on the out the collecting so i hope to get more i'm definitely collecting a lot but then i have this and then i have the lion share thing and i'm probably going to start some consulting business um for nfts just because i can't tell you how many times i have this conversation it's actually getting like more and more frequent to the point like i've never been the guy to not respond to people but like like if you're now it's like i have to actually that i have to really be valuable with where i allocate my time um like a poker player we we i feel like when we play poker you win fifty thousand dollars in like a day it feels like you're kind of hacking time you know but now it's like i have to be very careful who i want to talk to and this and that because like like i'm just getting hit up so much and it's a scarce resource, right? Yeah. Our time and our energy is a scarce resource. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I've uh, gotten out of like one-to-one private coaching at the beginning of this year, because like it doesn't scale and I only have so many hours in the day to work on so many projects, you know, and I, you have to be selective in how you spend your time and your energy. Um, Whereas like, I think before as a poker player, it's like, okay, cool. I'm playing poker. And if I'm not playing poker, I'll do whatever. <laughs> I have no, there, there's like no direction at all. It's like, yeah. No. Oh, you want to like fly to LA? Let's just fly to LA. Let's do whatever, whatever, man. Let's just do it. You know, I've been going through that the last few days. Cause I mean, I haven't had a job. I mean, I haven't been, I've been working at that uh, fraud company for the past two years. And then, like literally Monday was my first day where I'm like, all right, I should actually like, you know, formulate like a schedule and this and that. And like, the first part was like, I probably need a planner, you know, like I need to like actually where, but it's like, it's hard. Cause like some, there's more hours. You're like, okay, like I need to figure out something to do. And like, you know, it, I'm not like necessarily the best at scheduling. So you have to, well, you're, a po- you're a poker player, you know, they, our schedule was created by the tournament operators whenever exactly. they programmed the tournaments to fire off at <laughs> that, that was the schedule. Um, cool, man. Let's, Let's move to some lightning round questions and then we'll get you out of here so you can go mess with your planner and, you know, stop wasting (laughs) wasting time doing the podcast scene. Um, If you could gift all poker players one book to read, doesn't necessarily have to be about poker. What book would you give them? Um, I mean, man, I haven't read in that, like, I, the first book I read was Phil Helmuth's one, and I wouldn't gift that to them. Uh, <laughs> I would actually say that advanced um, tournament poker, like the Skolansky book, even though it's kind of like dated now, it was very helpful and, and, and may help me understand concepts like or like things I already knew, but I didn't know how to articulate like the gap concept, which is kind of like, um, like, I don't know if anyone who doesn't know that it's like when you raise under the gun and like you someone calls UTG2 you can probably assume that UTG2 is tighter, you know? And it's like, as you kind of like, um, but obviously it kind of changed. It's like changed. the escalation of like the, the relative strength of people's hands when they took specific actions. Yeah. Obviously now, like with the cutoff and button, it's, it's like with like, you know, the way that PL solver wants you to play, it's way, way, way different. Like you're actually pretty loose on there, those spots because of position. But 
I just felt like it was so integral in helping me elevate my game when I was in a very kind of like, uh, like to jump from like amateur to like, you know, intermediate. And I would recommend that book. I actually, I mean, I don't know how it stands up now. I would recommend that book to amateurs to kind of just like, you know, like get those core concepts down, even if it's not really, if you, if it's a little dated. Yeah. I mean, I read that book and I remember almost nothing. Like I, I think I read that book when I was working at Applebee's, I read super system, uh, hold them for advanced players and super system. And like, that was, that was the full poker education. Other than that, it's like, let's get in there and fire. Um, yeah. so if you could wave a magic wand and change something about poker, what would you change? That's your NFT, by the way. It's a magic one poker NFT, magic one <laughs> NFT. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's kind of just like, I just wish that online poker would be still be in America. I think that's like a very, maybe it's a simple answer, but I mean, uh, online poker, that, that, that's like where I really just thrived as like a poker player or not like, like skill wise or anything, just like lifestyle wise and really enjoying like kind of the whole grind of, you know, yeah, you're not with people grinding or you could be, but you're like online and everyone's kind of just like, you know, having fun playing poker together. If online poker just came back tomorrow, would you invest energy into into playing? Like, what, I would be playing almost all Sundays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you'd you'd be back in there on the weekends. Yeah, for sure. I think. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I go. I go across the board with any sort of projection to the point to where like people ask me and I just like don't don't offer an opinion, but. I think it's getting closer rather than farther away. Like just, I think that like with sports betting getting legalized kind of across the country now and yeah. daily fantasy sports, I think that like, it's a matter of time. And I know that there's a lot of interest in outside platforms coming to the USA as well, which, you know, means money spent in getting some things changed, hopefully down the line, which all of that stuff, it looks Looks like a good sign, but again, uh, I don't know. I'm just a poker player, but um, yeah, five five to ten years, maybe. Let's hope so. Maybe uh, ten years for on the on the longer end for California, but you know. Yeah, I mean, I think the tri the tribal uh, communities they're they're gonna fight online poker until their dying breath. Like they <laughs> do, they do not want uh, online gambling or online poker to come, and that, I think that's the biggest hurdle as it relates to uh, yeah. California specifically. Um, if you could put up a billboard, every poker player has got to drive past on their way to the casino. What's your billboard say? It's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, like, one comes to mind, but I kind of like, use this answer a lot. And it's just like, just, just fold more. Like, I know it's kind of simple and I can, um, but Man, or like you know, like uh, what about the queen ten? What about the the aggressive calls? Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Just me mean just like advertising, like yeah, just like some little quip or quote that you, you think would be helpful to to somebody or hurtful. I mean, I guess it's your billboard. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would probably just be like, 
never say thank you when if, like someone doesn't say nice hand don't say thank you because <laughs> <laughs> apparently some people don't realize that and they they need they need a billboard for it yeah thank you uh I, i'm guessing that doesn't go over so well <laughs> um all right so You've mentioned the project that you're working on that's near and dear to your heart. Are there any more projects you're working on that you'd like to speak about? Uh, not, not really. I think those two things are kind of like the prime focus right now. And, you know, my you're digital, my, you're, you're a digital horse owner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a Zed run hat on right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was that super fun um zerga farms which is the stable and i have it with uh some friends and it's just like uh they i feel like that's just like one of that was the thing like right after top shot where everyone was just like oh my god this is going to be such a sick like thing to do with nfts it's like the horse is the nft they make it so that you'll probably be able to bet on it at some point you already putting up buy-ins for your own horse and like they have like different like attributes and this and that and and uh in new york they had so nft nyc there was like a, a meetup and zed run brought like their entire team from like australia like the the founders and stuff to run an in-person kind of like a race and basically what we did was we all ran like zerga farms and a few other um I think 11 other stables, we ran a Z1, which is the rarest asset in the game. Um, and they're like, if you run them, you can risk losing a lot of money. So Why? I think that because How? like, uh, um, they could be bad, you know, like the way that. The <laughs> so they could be rare, but then they could just be like lemons. Yeah, exactly. There are some, the thing, the good thing is the reason why Z1s are, are the best is because, Hey, it's the first, like, you know, it's kind of, they really modeled it after, um, Courses where it's like the lineage is begins with Z1, but they have a higher percentage of being good, but the percentage is still like 25% that they're going to be good versus like, you know, average to bad. So, so you're generally taking a risk. So 12 of us ran uh, an unraced Z1 in New York at a bar and it was super hype. Like there, it was so much fun. Everyone's around there rooting on, like on the big screen. There, they got the um, dude to play the trumpet, you know, before posting. <laughs> it was, I mean, I, I, it, it was a great, uh, great experience. And actually, this is where I got that hat. Um, so, I mean, I think Zed Run once they do, and that was how kind does of it over. work? Like, how, like, so tell me, like, do you know how does it? How does the NFT have like when you pit them against each other? What is it looking at like? And then it's just the same forever. So like whatever attributes this this stallion has, it, it just keeps those forever. So like the ones that suck, they just suck forever. The ones that are great, they're great forever. Kind of, but um, you're so I guess the way they do it is they run like. They, they have like a thousand races that it can like can be ran, I guess, whenever you and then like one of one thousand like happens, I guess, in each race. So and it retires. No, no, no. It's just like that's like kind of that's how they do the algorithm. Oh, OK. So like there's, okay. there's variance within the races. Gotcha. But also there's going to be other things like added in like you can you breeding is a thing. So it could be a bad racer. Good breeder. 
um, or vice versa. And then also at some point there's going to be like fatigue or there is fatigue. Now they might add in like, you know, jockeys or they may add uh, turns and this and that. So weather, there's all these different things that they're adding to it to make that's it more in- complex. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I saw like the, I saw it go down and then I saw on your Twitter page and I was just in- interested in like how that, how that goes down, like functionally. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Did your, how'd your horse do? I think, oh, it was three races. We placed one of them. So we got third and which, which is acceptable. It was, I mean, these were some of the best stables in the world with some, you know, some of the best horses, you know, so. Yeah. So it, happy. yeah, not, not a total lemon, you know, we, we did good. Exactly. That's what we didn't, we did not want a lemon. Yeah. Now, now you got to see if it's a breeder too. Maybe you got the double threat. Yeah. Um, cool. So yeah. Final, final question, man. Just, uh, if somebody in the chasing poker greatness audience wants to learn more about you and the projects that you're working on, where can they go? Um, they can go to my Twitter R O O T H L U S. Um, or they can go to, uh, the, the discord for that project lion share, uh, poker dot G or dot G it's the discord, but I will, I go, I don't know. I always like forget the exact uh, link, but, um, I think it's just lionsharepoker.gg, like discord.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, those two places, I'm pretty active on Twitter, to be honest, I usually just, and then talking NFTs. And then sometimes I just say like random silly thoughts. Cause that's where you're supposed to put them on the internet, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, I think that's what it was made for. Um, and just don't send him a DM asking about NFTs because the man's, he's living his life. Actually, you, I would say just don't send a DM that says hi. Like (laughs) I can't tell you how many I get, how many DMs I get that are hi, how are you? Like, I'm not, I don't know who you, what? Like, (laughs) well, how, how are you though? Really? I mean, I'm great. I I did maybe occasionally answer because I just needed that question to be asked. Yeah. There you go. Man, it's been great having you on. Uh, best of luck pursuing, yeah, chasing, chasing NFT greatness. Um, excited, <laughs> excited to see what comes out, you know, of the space and your projects as well in the near future. It's an exciting time, and it's really early on. I think in in that world, uh, kind of like poker was back in you know two thousand four. So yeah, oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, but I will say that I am still chasing poker greatness every year for the main event. Like I will never not play the main event come, um, you know, and just, uh, it, it's just such a pure, great tournament. So different than any other tournament you can possibly play throughout the year. Uh, yeah, I'll be 85 in my, you know, VR headset or whatever it is, <laughs> you know, just playing, uh, playing the main event. Awesome, man. Good that, uh, you know staying close to your roots and keeping poker a part of your life. And, um, yeah, yeah best of luck. And, and I'll talk to you again in a couple of years. We'll, we'll catch up, see what's been going on. Yeah. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to chasing poker greatness. You can subscribe on Apple podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to chasingpokergreatness.com to get the newsletter, join the greatness village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter 
at CPG Podcast.